the uh, Joshua and his army, they were suspicious at the right points. They weren't necessarily sloppy in their investigation. They asked who they were. They asked how we're going to make this covenant. So it wasn't that they wasn't trying to, you know, figure out who they were necessarily, but they were alone in their decision. I mean, verse 15 clearly says they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Um, it wasn't that they didn't think, but they didn't pray. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. So I think this, this episode here, just this introduction part, kind of just raises a, a question for us, for God's people. You know, do we need the guidance of God only when we are in doubt? Um, and just, I just want you to think about that, guys. Examine that in your own life, of how often we go to God for his wisdom. I think there's some things in the Bible that we all know that are pretty clear, Right? Um, you know, for example, it says, you know, do not get drunk, do not have sex outside of marriage. That stuff is pretty clear. Hopefully, you don't necessarily have to ask for wisdom on, you know, on anything like that. Um, but <clears throat> I do think when it comes to circumstances that aren't necessarily black and white, um, as believers, um, we could make the same mistake that Joshua did. Joshua, not just him, but Joshua and his army, the people who's with, on not going to God for guidance, okay? And as I'm examining my life, reading this, I see that happen far too often in my own life. Excuse me. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I am sinning the whole time when I'm not doing that. No, not necessarily, but I'm not not being wise either with my time, not being wise with my decisions, right? We need to stray away from this thinking that we have everything under control, we love control. We love to make our own destiny and things like that. And to, obviously, to a certain extent, we do have a lot of control of our lives. We can make certain decisions and things like, and things like that. Um, but I think for the most part, that's an illusion that we have created for ourselves, that we um, know it all, that we have this independence of making every decision on ourselves. I think Israel, they, they had that idea within them that they could do that if we keep reading on excuse me verse 18 eventually they find out that they're lying Um, Israel basically got played they're tricked into an oath so verse 18 but the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn, sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we have sworn to them. So we see in verses 19 to 20, the leaders of, of Israel seem to want to break the oath, but to know that, but to know they did that, God's wrath would be upon Israel to break the oath with dishonor God. Okay, obviously we all know that <clears throat> they, they lied to get this oath, but Israel, they still want to honor that. They still want to honor that covenant they made with God. I think a lot of times, I think as believers, we have a hard time of, of hard time grasping why Israel wants to stick with that. Um, I think in Western Christianity, in general, we, ju- we just don't, when it comes to, making a covenant when it comes to, I mean, you could even look at the example of marriage nowadays, guys. I mean, um, apparently the stats say for, 
you know, people who are Christian, there are so many divorces going on, you know, things like that. So I think in general, just the idea in Western Christianity is that we don't take um, covenants with God seriously. And here we have Israel. Uh, there was one that was wrongfully obtained, but it was only because they neglected the wisdom of God. If they would have went to God for, if they would have asked him, they would have prayed for him for wisdom, that would have happened, right? <clears throat> so what are they to do? Live faithfully. Think about it. This spills over into our own Christian lives. There will be times when we are called to live obediently. There will be times when we will live among our own foolishness, and God is going to want us to be faithful with that. He's not going to want us to run away. He's going to want us to recognize our mistakes. He's going to want us to repent of our mistakes without a doubt. Okay, that's not, not saying don't do that. But at the same time, there's consequences for our mistakes, and he wants us to live through those. And I think that's what Israel is doing right now. They want to honor God. They want to keep that covenant they made, but they also, too, um, want to live through that and walk um, towards that. We must glorify and magnify the grace of God and our messes and our mistakes. One last thing before we move to chapter 10. Um, all this gives, because again, in Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, guys, remember, Moses has just died. Moses gives over Joshua the leadership. And we all remember what the God says to Joshua in chapter 1. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, is, for the, Lord the God is with you and will walk for, uh, with you and for you. Um, so all this gives Joshua an opportunity to display courageous leadership and delivering the Gibeonites, right? The chapter ends with Joshua leading the way and asking them why, why they have lied to them. They say in verse 24, we did it because we, your servants, were clearly told that Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land to destroy all the people living in it. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you. This is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord. And so here we are. Joshua decides not to kill them. Instead, he uses them. He uses them to be uh, woodcutters, water carriers for the community. Um, They stick to being allies, even though they wrongfully got that covenant. Um, But this sets up for the next chapter as Joshua is going to lead the Gibeonites um, they're going to help them fight alongside of victory. And so I like how progressively we see Joshua's leadership grow and grow every chapter. Okay. <clears throat> um, but like I said before, chapter 9 sets the tone for chapter 10. <clears throat> In chapter 10, um, I don't have the verses up there because I want to try to read as less than I can and summarize more if I can. So a quick recap of the verses uh, 10 through 5. Um, so here we are, the five kings of the Amorites who joined together in opposition to Israel. Uh, so think about it. The Gibeonites, they just have Israel as an ally. The Gibeonites are known to have really strong warriors. These five kings are thinking, there's no way we could beat them. Let's gather together. Let's join forces and fight against them. That's basically what they're thinking, right? Actually, pretty smart if you think about it because, again, if you know that someone is stronger than you, you're not going to go into battle with them, right? 
So that's what they do. They are aware, uh, aware, aware of how strong they are with the Gibeonites as their allies. And because of that, they gathered against them to fight them. <clears throat> so knowing this, Joshua 7 says, and this is Joshua telling his army, all right? Remember that this was God telling Joshua basically the same thing in the beginning of chapter 1. But Joshua says, um, do, uh, so Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. So we see again that God is telling them, do not be afraid. Um, what we see in, in Joshua 1.5, God repeats it here again. Okay, I think that's, imp- that's some God's is important for us to know because I think oftentimes God has a way of reassuring us his promises. God has a way of reassuring us that we need to throw ourselves upon God and not trust in our own self, not trust in what we think we know. That's exactly what God is doing here. God is reminding Joshua um, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to fight for you. Um, and he, look, looking at verse 7 again, he's already given them victory over them. Not a single one of them be able to stand up to you. That's crazy. Like, think about it. This five, these five kings have gathered forces together. I don't even know how many men it was. I'm sure it was a lot. And God has already told them, I'm already going to give you victory over these people. You're good. You're all right. Just do not be afraid, you know. Um, sometimes that's what we need, guys. I'm not against new teaching. I'm not against, you know, anything like that. But I think at times what we usually need is not new truth, but old truth um, freshly applied to our current situation. Okay? So it kind of goes back to the saying, never grow out of the, never, as a believer, you don't ever want to grow out of the gospel. You don't ever want to grow out of these old truths because a lot of times those are going to help us get through of, of what we're already in. Right? So, continue reading on verse 9. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekiah and Machadiah. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Ezekiah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. On that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites. A um, couple of things to know here, guys. Obviously, God said that God gave them victory. God had told them what was going to happen. But I love how in verse 9, um, victory is ready promised to them. Think about that. They know they're going into the battle and they're going to win. But I love how verse 9 shows us how divine reinsurance does not stifle but encourage the cleverness of Israel. Okay? Just because God has already promised them victory doesn't mean they're just going to sit, you know, at the battlefield and wait for them to come to them. All right? Um, and in other words, they got to go out and take action, right? They got to go out and do something about it, okay? A lot of times when God has promised us um, things in, in, our, in our life, 
Um, sometimes that, not sometimes, but all the time, that doesn't mean we just sit there and we let that promise come to us. Okay, we got to go out and, make, and, and do it. We got to go out and, and, and do something about it, right? There's one thing to know about God's sovereignty, sovereignty and believe in his promises, but it's another thing to act on them. The two go hand in hand, okay? Notice in verse 9, it says that they traveled all night. They went to their, they, they surprised them. Um, <clears throat> it also says that they had a surprise attack on them, okay? The truth of God's sovereignty rightly used does not innervate but energize human response. I love that. I love that they just don't sit back at their, back at their place and, and relax and chill and let them come to, to them. They go out and they do something about it. Um, and again, we see in verse, starting in verse 11, God intervenes. God throws a terrible hailstorm. Hell, he assists Israel. And I think that's something we cannot miss here. Okay. The Lord has encouraged and reminded Joshua what's going to happen. He acts on it. Even says God intervenes and, and, and um, has a hailstorm from the sky to crush them. <clears throat> Verse 11 is declaring the source and cause of Israel's victory. God is the warrior who defeats the foe. Israel cannot miss this. We cannot miss this, guys. A lot of times we do not let God help us in our battles. We do not let him intervene and fight in our battles for us. Okay? And again, just like the story says, there is a response on our part. We're not just sitting there. But I think, a lot of, I think a lot of times what happens is we think that we know. Again, it goes back to us and having this cocky independence. We think that we, we know what we're doing. We think um, what actions of ours are right or just. But in reality, we don't. Um, <clears throat> so I think that sometimes the church, as believers, we have lost this vision of God or Christ as the warrior who fights for his people. We have created this soft and tender Jesus in Sunday school, one who is not fierce but uh, passive and, and soft. Psalm 8, 24, 8 says, I don't have that one up here, but Psalm 24, 8 says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Ain't no mild or soft Jesus can give his people hope, guys. So I think for us today, how does that look like? How does that look like to let God fight for us? Um, I think in a sense, God does not want us to be strong because I think when we think of being strong, again, we think of us knowing everything. We think of us trying to solve everything on our own. At least that's the way it is in my life. But I think in, in general, God does want us to be strong, really strong. He wants to be our strength, right? He wants us to be strong in a way that reflects not well on us, but well on him, right? Um, and Peter, First Peter, I don't have this verse up either. First Peter four, eleven. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Um, we only want to be strong in the strength that God supplies, right? Now, if we were sinless, that wouldn't be a problem. Because our wants would be in perfect harmony with what God wants. But we're not, we're, we, are, we are sinful people. Um, 
Since we're not sinless, there's often conflict between the strength we desire to have and the strength that God desires to have. Let's finish reading and see what else happens um, after the battle. Because there's one more point that I want to drive home. In Joshua 10, verses 16 through 19, during the battle, the five kings, remember the five kings who kind of basically started all this, escape and hide in a cave. When Joshua heard that they had been found, he issued a command. Because he knows about this. He knows they're hiding somewhere. Cover the opening of the cave with large rocks and place guards at the entrance to keep the kings inside. The rest of you continue chasing the enemy and cut them down from the rear. Don't give them a chance to get back to their towns for the Lord your God has given you victory over them. He's reminding them again, the Lord your God has given you victory over them. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them, right? So the aftermath of the battle, we, again, we see the five kings are hiding. God, uh, Joshua orders for them to... He orders for his people to look for him. He orders large stones to be rolled over to trap him inside. After the battle, Joshua returns to the cave and makes a scene to drive an unforgettable point. This is the point that I want to hit across of. Um, Joshua 10, uh, verses 20 through 26. Then Joshua said, remove the rocks, covering the opening of the cave, and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashith, and Eglon. Again, I'm horrible with these names. When they brought him out, Joshua told the commanders of the army, Come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Again, Joshua reminding his men, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Um, again, guys, real quickly, think back to Joshua 1 where God was telling Joshua to do that, Right? Now Joshua has been given leadership, has given command over his army. Now he is telling them, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Then Joshua killed each of the five kings and impaled them on five sharpened poles where they hung until evening. All right. It's pretty gruesome. It's probably not the story you want to say to your kids before they go to bed. Um, <laughs> but... We've we got to remember that the obedience of Joshua towards God is demonstrated by his execution of the leaders of the Canaanites, right? Um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 5, and 20, Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18, talks about how God has directed his people to kill the Canaanites and everybody in the land. Um, the passage clearly shows that God does not want his people contaminated and polluted with the gross idolatry and immortality associated with the pagan nations of the people in this land, okay? We're not going to dive really into those texts just for the sake of time, but the army of Israel was God's acts of judgment, and they wanted to be obedient to God, right? Um, But we see, I want us to focus on verse 25. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told his men. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies, Okay? All Israel's enemies, God's enemies will ultimately be defeated. And if you look back to the beginning, God, guys, God has promised us one who will put his foot on the neck of our greatest foe. This is where Joshua 10 is pointing to. If we look back to Genesis 3.15, at the beginning before humans were exiled from the garden, God said he would send a son, his son, who would crush the serpent. The Lord will fight for you has now become Jesus' fought for you. Jesus has fought for us, every single one of us, okay? I like to think about it like this. 
God knew all who would sin. God knew what we would do, and yet God still pursued us. God still said, hey, I want to come and die for you. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you've looked at. I want to come and die for you. Jesus has fought for us on the cross. This is what I want to connect this scene today, guys. To our struggles today, the repeated mention of God's miraculous intervention in Israel recalls a spiritual warfare with sin that forms a daily struggle. Okay, we see God intervening and fighting for Israel. We see God um, intervening and encouraging Joshua to tell his people, do not be afraid or discouraged. Okay, the sin that ceaselessly tries to ensure us, put your foot on it. The lie that wants to buy sins, empty promises, put your foot on it. And even Satan himself, guys, one day soon, the God of peace will tell us, put your foot on him. You know, God's going to crush our enemies. He, he already has, right? This is what Joshua was telling his armies. God has given you victory over them. Okay, of course, maybe it doesn't look like a battle there we're all going to go into and we're slaughtering people. Of course not. But spiritually, it does. Spiritually, it looks exactly like that. Spiritually, some, some of us in here have demons that we're fighting with, okay? Spiritually, a lot of us have been enslaved to our own sins that we only know about. And God has promised that he has come to crush those enemies. He has come to crush them. <clears throat> the slaughter of these kings was an acted parable, an assuring sign of how God would certainly place all of our enemies beneath us. Obviously, that day already happened. We all know the story, Jesus coming down and dying for us. Um, and even if this story isn't necessarily the most kid-friendly story, guys, it uh, couldn't give us more hope, right? Um, the rest of the chapter talks about Israel conquering seven towns in the region where the Canaanite leaders are put to death. Um, obviously, they succeed. And, and the rest of the chapter just talks about them conquering, them destroying, and things like that. Um, it pretty much goes straight um, through it. Um, and it also mentions repeatedly that God stayed with Israel, that everybody in Israel returned back um, home safely. They didn't lose anybody at all. God stayed with them. God carried out his promise. Um, the theme all throughout Joshua is to be courageous, right? Um, do not be afraid is mentioned multiple times, not just in these two chapters, but in the whole book of Joshua. Whether it's our decision-making, and we are prone to make quick decisions sometimes, we are, again, we, we don't want to ask God for, the, um, for wisdom. Or maybe it's spiritual warfare that we're dealing with. Maybe, you know, um, it, when it comes to making the decision of fighting our sin and putting that beneath us, we are afraid to let God fight for us. We are afraid to allow the people to come into our own lives. Um, ultimately, our actions and our response to sin will matter one day. Okay? And I just I want to remind you guys here, part of, I think, being courageous, part of Joshua being, having that courage in chapter 10 was letting the Lord fight for him was him telling and him leading his army and telling them to not be afraid, to be encouraged. Because the same thing that God told him, he eventually carried with him so much that he was able to encourage everybody else around him. Okay, I think oftentimes we miss that. We miss that part of being bold, being courageous, on letting the Lord fight for us. 
think some of us maybe don't know what that means. Some of us are afraid to trust God with that. But Joshua does here, him and his army. And so that, that's my encouragement um, to you guys today. So I'll go ahead and pray us out, and then I have about five questions for you guys. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you, Lord. We, we, we thank you that you want to fight for us today, that um, even um, in the battle that we saw in chapter 10, you pursuing your enemies and crushing them, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that um, if we haven't seen you as a warrior, if we haven't seen you as somebody who fights for us today, Father God, this story can paint a picture of what that looks like. This story can paint a picture of you wanting to do that for us, Father. And um, I pray that we could see Joshua's courageous leadership in this. Um, we could be motivated by that. Um, we could be encouraged of what that looks like. And, uh, Father, you are you're faithful. You are faithful to the end. You are faithful to, to fight for us and, and not give up um, for us, Lord. For anybody in here, Father, who, who has um, uh, sin struggles, um, addictions, whatever, Father God, Jesus has placed all those beneath him on the cross. Jesus has died for all of those. And I pray, Father God, that's something that we can rest at and something that we can see, Lord. Um, love you, God. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. I've got five questions for you guys, so dive on into them.